0: at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church this morning. Good. Let's turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, please. Well, Philippians chapter 2, it says, do all things without complaining and disputing. That's verse 14. So if you don't like this sermon, well... Don't say anything. (laughs) Uh, Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining and disputing. We'll go down to verse 18, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, what is the Apostle Paul doing here? He's going to spell out for us some of the details of what it looks like to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, though that was just in the past couple of verses that we looked at last week, and what he's remember what he's doing there when he says to work out your salvation, he is really not trying to be unclear or to confuse you into thinking that salvation is attained by works. What he's doing is being very clear that working out our salvation is the same thing as obeying the word of God. Because he said in the verse before that one, he said that uh, as, as, uh, as in my presence, so now also in my absence, you be obedient to the things of God. And so he's just saying obey the word of God in a different way to work out your salvation. That is, God has given you salvation. You, remember what we said that this translates to kind of put it into practice. Don't get it for yourself. That's a gift of God. Work out that gift that God has given to you. You know, when you get the Christmas gift, use it, do something with it, don't just let it sit in the corner kind of thing. Of course, salvation is better than any Christmas gift, isn't it? (laughs) By far. But he's saying to work out our salvation, to be obedient, to put it to practice. But he doesn't leave us without resources, doesn't he? It says in the next verse there, in verse number 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So you have God working in the life of every believer, working to change their desires and their behaviors. He works in you both to will, speaking about the volition, and to do for his good pleasure. That's the action side of it. Remember, we said last time good intentions are fine as far as they go, but good intentions don't actually get to the doing of the work of the life of a Christian. So now what he's going to do in verses 14 and following is he's going to lay out some details for us about what does this look like. And in the life of the Philippian church, this is very important. He starts out right away by saying, do all things without complaining and arguing or grumbling and disputing. Evidently, there was a bit of a problem with this in the church. Back in chapter 127, he wanted them to be of like mind. Chapter 2, verse number 2, he wanted them to be of like mind. Chapter 4 and verse number 2, I implore Yodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. There's some little fly in the ointment in the Philippian church. It wasn't a perfect church, you know, newsflash, (laughs) there is no such thing, right? It was a good church. You know, it was a light, but it had something going on there and Paul had to address that issue. And uh, you know, not everything was just perfectly joyful there, although there was a lot to be joyful about in that church that God had saved them and was working in their midst. And so the exhortations fit the context of, you know, humble-minded, humble like-mindedness <clears throat> um but they're even broader than that because uh, it starts out in verse 14 with this word, do all things without complaining and disputing. Excuse my cough. For... Sorry about that. Just when I want to start talking, it starts coming back. You know, If I'm just sitting quietly, no problem. But uh, I'm now three weeks, uh, just at the end of three weeks from uh, COVID's onset of symptoms, so just got to deal with it. He starts out in verse 14 by saying he wants to hear no complaining uh, from the believers in the church. The sinful activities of complaining and disputing, grumbling, arguing can be internal actually or they can also spill out into the external. We obviously know uh, situations where people become complaining by what they speak about, how they speak about it, but Paul is saying no no complaining and complaining is an utterance made in a low tone of voice behind the scenes. This is exactly what complaining is, and that's what the Greek dictionary calls out. I mean, it just it says you can almost you can almost feel and sense what complaining is about by just thinking of people speaking kind of in low tones on the side to their friend, and and uh, they don't like something, and so they have to talk to this person and this person and this person, and not the person that's involved in the actual thing, you know, to go to your brother and speak to him, but everybody else, um, it's, it's murmuring. And actually, it's a word in Greek, which is a word that is an onomatopoeic word. You know what that means? Like tick-tock, a word which sounds like the sound that it's describing. Well, it's, it's like that kind of, you know, it's grumbling. Um, murmuring, like we have in English, it's secret talk. It's whispering, usually behind other people. It's arising from some dissatisfaction. Uh, you have examples all throughout Scripture. John seven twelve, people were grumbling about the identity and character of Jesus. Acts chapter six one, you have the uh, Hellenistic widows complaining because they weren't getting a distribution of the food like they. Like they should. You have 1 Peter 4 9, which talks about offering hospitality without complaint. That that's certainly applicable. We ought to think about that. In fact, I was uh, asking our church family on Wednesday night to think about with me just you know, increasing our hospitality ministry back and forth to one another in homes and sharing meals together at a restaurant or something like that. But certainly in homes is a, a wonderful way to to uh, have <clears throat> hospitality and to do so without complaining. Uh, <clears throat> Luke 15, the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling that the Lord actually spent time with sinners. You know, you know, horror of horrors that somebody who came to save sinners would spend time with sinners. You know, it's uh, kind of, yeah, one of those slap your forehead kind of moments, you know, like, duh, that's where he should go if he's going to speak with such people. Same in Luke 19. And then back in the Old Testament, Exodus 15 and 16, you've got complaints about God's lack of provision or slow provision on water and food. <clears throat> the people of Israel couldn't help themselves, it seems, to, to complain. Numbers 14, the people went into the land, and came. Uh, the, you know, the spies, and they came back, ten of them with a bad report, and they discouraged the hearts of the people. They were grumbling and complaining at that time. Joshua 9, the people were grumbling because the leaders had made this foolish pact with the Gibeonites. Well, why don't we attack them and do what God told us to do? Well, you know, we made this agreement with them and shouldn't have done that, but they did. The Old Testament was written in part for us to warn against us, to warn us rather against discontentment about the things that God has provided fact, I'll just read that. It's over in 1 Corinthians. If you want to turn there, chapter 10, you don't have to, but you can if you want to just set your eyes on this. 1 Corinthians ten six. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And I take from that also we should not complain as some of them complained. And God was very displeased with them and and most of that generation, as you know, perished and died and was buried in the wilderness. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 32 talks about how unwise people, God's people were in their interactions with him. That's the Jewish people in Israel. Complaining is on the far other end of the spectrum when compared with what, well, in that passage, what was Moses doing? Moses was singing the praises of God. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 32 it's a stark contrast when you look at it. It says in verse, uh, Deuteronomy 32, uh, verse 3 For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. But then he switches abruptly to speaking about the people of Israel. They have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? Well, they, they, they didn't recognize all of that, forgot it, and they complained against God. They were giving sinful expression to their discontent and their selfishness. They were expressing displeasure, grievance. They were unhappy about what God had chosen for them. That's God, by the way. I said God chose that for them. You know, but oftentimes displeasure and complaining and grumbling. In me, I decide that I know better than God does and I am not happy with what God has ordained for me and the situation that I am in, I'm not pleased with. What's the opposite of complaining? How about rejoicing, honoring, thanking God, blessing him, praising him? You, know, you have complaining over here. You have all those things over here totally opposite end of the spectrum of response that we could give to God for what he has done. What about arguing? Do all things, he says, without, without complaining and without arguing or disputing. Now, this word is a broad kind of general word in the Greek language. It, just, it speaks about thinking, about reasonings, uh, evil thoughts, the thoughts of many hearts. Jesus knew their thoughts. I'm just giving you some examples I have listed there on page two of my notes. Doubts, reasonings, dissensions. James chapter two talks about if you show partiality, you have become judges with evil thoughts. That's the same word. So it's got a wide range of meaning, wider than the word complaining does, but it clearly has a heavy emphasis on the thoughts of the person and a particularly negative contemplations that spring forth into arguments when somebody's unhappy with a circumstance. Reasoning that may come out in a, a, verbally, uh, a verbal manner in a conflicting situation. <clears throat> you know, in the context of complaining, this kind of reasonings that are involved here are likely focused upon that complaint as the source of conflict. So you begin to think You don't like something, you're grumbling in your mind, you may speak about that, somebody else disagrees with you, Yodia and Syntyche perhaps, they get into an argument, and so Paul is saying, look, just cut the whole chain right at the beginning. Stop it from the start. If God is working in you to will and to do for his good pleasure, then you need to listen to that work of God and cut the complaining side of things. Complaining is a sinful expression of discontent, of selfishness, of displeasure, of grievance. Disputing is reasoning and negative contemplations that spring forth in arguments. It's the type of sinful verbal exchange that occurs when conflicting ideas meet between two people. If there is a If there's a most significant statement in this message, I think it may be the one that I'm going to make next on page three of the notes. The graces of submission, contentment, and humility help you to avoid complaining and disputing. The graces, listen, of submission, contentment, and humility. Have you learned to submit to the circumstances that God has allowed for you? Uh, I give this illustration often because I think it's important for us, when for us, well, say me in the leadership role in the church, to have learned submission earlier in my life, so that I could be a better leader for God's people, when I was a young man, <clears throat> past my past my, well, actually maybe even in my young early twenties, <clears throat> I learned by experience the value and the necessity of honoring mother and father not just simply obeying them, but honoring them and their desires, even if their desires weren't exactly in line with mine. And I'm not going to go into the specifics of the situation, but it wasn't a hard, how can I say, it wasn't like there was a huge conflict or something like that, but God was working in me to learn how to submit, and that is a crucial element, even to a situation that I didn't think was just ideally the way that I would design the situation, you know, because I'm so wise when I'm in my early 20s, right? We all were there. We all knew everything back in those days, right? seems like we, we're, not, we're not so smart now, right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, you know, you learn the grace of submission. You learn the grace of contentment. That's a gift from God when you learn how to be content. Paul said, I have learned. In whatever state that I am, he was speaking to these guys about, you know, thank you for supplying my needs because I've been abased. You know, I've been kind of hand to mouth, uh, not so good on the finances, and I've learned to abound. I've been in both situations, but I've learned in whatever situation to be content. Have you learned that yet? I mean, learned it, not like just know it, you know, in your head, like, yeah, I'm supposed to be that way. No, I mean, learned it, actually, experientially, the grace of contentment and the grace of humility. You know, the grace of humility is I'm not in charge. I'm down here. I'm God's servant, okay? So if, if I find myself in a situation where submission is hard, contentment is hard, humility is hard, what I need to do is something like this. Think God's will must be this situation. That's God's design for my life right now. Therefore, I will handle it as he intends for me to handle it. I won't complain. I won't dispute. I won't be discontent. I won't be proud. I won't, I won't You know, say, God, I am not going to submit to this that you've decided for me. If he's decided for you to be sick right now, as he has for some of us, even hospitalized, you know, you say, God, why is it 92% that I have to make when I'm walking back and forth in this room? Why can't it be 89 and I can go home? Well, that's that's just how they've decided statistically or scientifically or whatever it has to be. And you have to submit to that, unfortunately, you feel. But if you kind of grasp this grace of, of contentment and humility and Submission, you'll, you'll embrace that. You'll welcome what God has chosen for you <clears throat> instead of kicking against the goads, so to speak. And so those graces are important for us. Now, by the way, Paul says in verse 14, do all things without... Now, doing some things without complaining is, is easy. I mean, I, I hardly have ever heard anybody say, there is just too much ice cream on this cone. I mean, you know, this is ridiculous. No, they don't say that. There are other things, however, that are harder to do without complaining. And it's different for everybody, right? But there may be some things that are like, you know, cleaning chores, repetitive tasks that you have to do. Excuse me. Nasty jobs, things that we have to do when we're tired, hard things, uncomfortable things, we complain about those things. But he says, do all things, not some things, without complaining and disputing. Do everything. And that word, by the way, is "panta," everything, all things. It's the beginning of the sentence. He's not just, I mean, he's emphasizing the word is what I'm trying to say. This is an important concept, everything. Everything is kind of like... um, in everything, give thanks. In, in every circumstance, be praying. Uh, rejoice always. That's what he's saying. Do all things. If you want to do everything for the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10.31, then one way to do everything is without complaining or disputing. And I, I ask myself and I ask you, how does this apply to me in my home and in my church, how does it apply to my family, to you, to our church to to our extended families how to my interactions with people at work, you know do people at work know me as the person who's smiling a lot and happy and joyful, or am I the person who's you know grumbly and complaining all the time and you know every office has got, they just resign them so every office has got to have somebody like that, right? so I guess he's the person but if you're a professing Christian, not a good idea, <clears throat> not a good testimony. Do all things. Now, somebody asked me years ago when I gave this, when I taught through this passage before, uh, over 10 years ago now, they said, <clears throat> what is, is there a difference between a legitimate complaint and a sinful complaint? And I think there is a range of meaning in that word complaint, one second, Uh, in that in that word complaint that can be uh, used in a good way, like for example, I say to folks, "Look at the psalms. How many times did the did the author of the psalms, often David, complain to God? Now, what did he always do almost always by the end of the psalm? He praised God, right? He realized that there's there's the looming situ- situation. And then he stepped back and he realized, oh, there's the looming God over the situation. So he could end up, you know, praising God. But there are times when you, you know, you are, you know how it is. God, I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you. You know that? You do that? I think there's room for that without, you know, falling into sin. But it is easy for us then to, you know, complain and be upset and all that sort of thing. We have to pull ourselves back from that sinful response. Even as we're telling God, you know, God, this situation isn't ideal. Could you help me out of this situation? Um, It's kind of like the other, another side to the same kind of question that I received before, and that is what about contentment? You know, am I allowed to somehow be discontent with my current situation? And I think if you, take this the right way, you can understand it, yes, if you're, if you're content in your present circumstances, but you're looking to improve those circumstances, you could say that's a kind of discontent, like, I'm not satisfied with merely having a high school diploma. In order to, do, to achieve more, I need to better myself. So I'm, in a way, I'm discontent with my High school diploma, you know what I mean? But I'm not sinfully discontent because, I, I shouldn't be, because I'm just saying, well, that's where I am right now. I'm going to apply to school. I'm going to start working. And I'm not going to complain when I get too much homework either because I'm trying to reach a goal to better you know, my educational status or my training for my job or or whatever the situation is. So you can complain without complaining, you can be discontent without being discontent if you know what i mean check your attitude and make sure you're not being sinful before god uh, in those areas <clears throat> that we that we have talked about and there's other things you know you just simply cannot be i i'll, I'll give you a, a personal illustration i i felt the kind of weight of stepping into this pulpit back in 2006 because i was 32 following an 83-year-old experienced pastor. and But I had resolved long before that, maybe not too long before that, but that I wasn't going to worry about that, you know, filling the shoes kind of idea. I cannot fill the shoes. I am not of the age and experience to be able to do that. And you know what? God has set me in the place that he set me. The only way, by the way, that you're going to get experience is by Getting experience. (laughs) There's no other way to do it. You got to start somewhere. And so, excuse me, if you if you uh, are 20 or 25 and you want to get into ministry, you're going to start and you're going to be a little rough around the edges. So what? That's what everybody is when they're inexperienced. But um, yeah, the only way you get that experience. So you have to be content with where you are and say, look, I. I cannot be where I'm not. I cannot be where God has not allowed me to go yet. You know, someday I will reach, I hope, 83. But then I'll wish I was 32. (laughs) So, you know, whatever. Um, There are better approaches than than complaining and and arguing and, and so on. What about constructive criticism or using the channels that are appropriate for making changes or confronting somebody about their sin instead of talking to everybody else about it. There are more positive things to do than murmuring and complaining. Go on to verse number 15. Here's what Paul wants us to become or to be like. This is kind of the aim of what he's speaking about, the purpose. He's not just saying, you know, don't be complaining people, but He says it this way, verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, what he's doing here is taking us beyond common grace. Common grace is that gift that God has shed abroad generally upon humanity where people who are in their right mind recognize Complaining isn't going to help the situation. Disputing about it isn't going to do anything. You've got to get on to positive and constructive ways of solving problems rather than just sitting there and complaining about them and, and being negative and repeating over and over. That's fine. You, know, you might as well do something else than complaining because it's not going to get you anywhere. But with this help from Revelation, the revelation of God, we learn more than the common grace approach to complaining and arguing. It's not just an unproductive way to live, it's a sin and it displeases God. And the goal or purpose statement behind why we want to live in this non-complaining, grumbling way is that we want to become sanctified, more sanctified in our walk with the Lord. Notice what he says, that you may become blameless and harmless. And I think that word become is a great translation What it's saying is not all of us are there yet. I mean, none of us have perfectly arrived, although some are much more mature than others in our Christian walk, especially if you've just started out. Well, you can't be experienced if you're not experienced. So if you're a new Christian, you're going to be in a different state than you are if you've been a Christian for 50 years. Okay, we got that laid out, and we remember that. But um, you think about this, What God's trying to do in us is to make us become people who are blameless and, what does he say, harmless children of God without fault. You're not there necessarily yet, but you're somewhere along the pathway of that. And God is in the business when he's working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure to transform you so that you become blameless and harmless and children of God without fault. Where are you on that journey? Where are, you? Where are you on the road to that ultimate level of sanctification? Ask yourself that question. If your life is full of complaints, you've got some distance to travel yet, my friend. And I encourage you to you know, you know, put on the walking shoes, the sanctification shoes, and start moving better in that direction. complaining and arguing accord well with a crooked and perverse generation. It's kind of like today, you know, there's this kind of mentality out there. It's not really a positive building mentality. It's a tearing down mentality. Destroy the current order. There's no idea what they're going to replace it with because that kind of mentality is not a constructive mentality. It's only a destructive mentality. Um. And so the complaining and disputing about everything fits right into the crooked and perversity, you know, perverseness of society, but those things do not agree with godliness. We rather to become those who are blameless and harmless, upright and in harmony with God. That's our target. That's our target. Are you there yet? The point is not that we start out perfectly sanctified. We end up that way with progress along life's way. And keep moving in the right direction by obeying God's command here, by allowing Him to work through us. You know, when when God is speaking to your conscience through the Word, it's telling you you shouldn't really be responding that way. Yeah, that's that's it. Blameless. He wants us to be blameless. No charge sustainable against a person. Not not doesn't mean the person doesn't ever sin, but people who sin repent and confess and make restitution if needed, and they're an upright kind of of person. Uh, They sin less and less of the time. Harmless means without uh, impurity. It really means pure or innocent or sincere without deceit. Believers are supposed to be harmless and blameless in the middle of a moral mess called the world. Maybe to put it a different way, believers should have their moral rooms clean even if everybody else around them has a mess in their room. Any believer should be able to discern the vast difference between the world and the things of God. Paul, like Moses, calls it crooked and perverse, unscrupulous, dishonest, morally twisted, distorted, corrupted, depraved. That's what our world is. Is. In fact, the word crooked is an interesting word. It comes from the word scolios. Some of you in the medical field know exactly already. You're thinking of scoliosis, where somebody's spine kind of goes, <laughs> not like straight like it's supposed to go. Scoliosis, um, the opposite of straight. Straight is the picture of righteousness, or, you know, that's how it's supposed to be. But when it's like this, it's like, whoa, it diverted off the, the godly path. Okay, it's, it's bad news. Perverse <clears throat> is sinful. Uh, it's just a, it means like out of the way of God. Somebody who is perverse is off of the right path. Now we use it in a little bit of a different nuance today in English, but it gives you the basic idea. <clears throat> out of line compared to normal. It's showing a pathology of sinfulness pathology, a diseased state. Every generation is sinful like this, so he says in, a, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, that's referring to kind of the whole group of people that were alive at the time in which Paul was writing, and we live in the same because our generation is descended from that generation that existed back in that time through their offspring all the way down to this day. Now, <clears throat> our nation has enjoyed some benefits of a christian heritage so that some of those perversities have not been as evident they've always been there in the background and they're continually trying to bubble up and push through the surface and 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 come out into the open and so the backdrop of our world is that sin and corruption which is like is pictured here as moral darkness god is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so darkness is a picture of, well, the opposite of light is, light is holiness. The opposite of that is sinfulness. So darkness is a picture of moral uh, degradation, moral departure from God. If God is the, is the light over here, the world wants to recede into the darkness in the farthest corner away from God that it can find. And so the backdrop of our world is like the darkness of interstellar space. Have you ever seen darkness before? It's kind of an odd way of asking it, but have you seen darkness before, you know, in the bottom of Mammoth Cave when they shut the lights? Or if you perhaps were up in outer space, you might feel that darkness. Of course, it's punctuated with something, isn't it? Little dots of light, little dots of light we call stars. And this is akin to how the believer is supposed to shine in the light in the midst of a moral dark, morally dark world. This is the spiritual light of pure and upright character. Kind of picture it like the wise men saw in the east, the bright and shining star. The believer looks totally different than the backdrop against which he is placed. It, the contrast almost couldn't be more stark. Blackness on the background of outer space and a pin of light that's easily visible in that darkness of the space. So us, in contrast to the world, we should be standing out to the people who are observing us as those who have a different character. We uh, stand out. We're not different just for the sake of being different. You know, like the nonconformist, I'm just going to be different. But, of course, all the nonconformists end up being the same as each other and, and, and in that you know, kind of mire of sin anyway. So they're really not any different at all. We're not different just to be different. We're different because we have a different God We have a different morality, a different character, a different hope, a different lifestyle, a different Lord Jesus, a different desire, and so on. We're we're new creatures. All things have become new. And so like stars in the midnight sky, believers are to shine as lights in a morally dark world. Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world, right? The salt of the earth. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light, right? And why are we light? Because his light shines through us, okay? We're like, um, you know, on some of these devices, electronic devices, you've got a light shining here and there's a little kind of fiber optic cable uh, that shines the light out of the front panel of that thing. Well, Jesus is the light. You're supposed to be the fiber optics, that send the light out, so that people can see it, lighting up the world. <clears throat> Many of us, well, in fact, look at what he says here: um, that you, among whom you shine, these believers were shining already. He's not telling them turn on the light bulb, because you know when that happened, when they got saved, the light bulb turned on. What he's saying is, uh, up the lumens a little bit, you know? Turn up the wattage so that you become a little brighter. You know, not like one of those dwarf stars out there, but maybe one of the bigger ones out in the universe. More spiritual lumens shining as part and parcel of being a believer. You know, you don't hide yourself under a basket. Remember, that's what the Lord said. You don't light a, a lamp and set it under a basket. Otherwise, what? You're a basket case. Don't do that, okay? Light the world around you. Now, I'm looking at the clock, and I'm looking at my notes, and I'm looking at you, and I'm saying, uh-oh, I better stop. So uh, we, I want to I carry on with uh, how do we do this? How, do we, how can we be lights in the world? not just like behaviorally what we do, but <clears throat> he tells us in, in the first part of um, 16, we do so by holding fast the word of life. And then he wants to talk a little bit about how that relates to his ministry to them and what he looks at, how he looks at his life and the end of his life. We've already talked about this a little bit. Remember how Paul... He looks at the options that he has, die and be with Christ, stay and continue ministering and gaining fruit. Both are good. One's better, but both are good. But he's going to look at that again from a little bit of a different perspective, uh, and we'll have to wait until next time to see this, starting in verse 16 through 18. But thanks for bearing with me. Thanks for not complaining about the message today or its length. I'm just ending right before noon, so you can't complain about that. But in really, I mean, we work with our children, and we need to work with ourselves to be sure that we're good models to our children, that we don't complain, we don't dispute, and we don't grumble. Uh, instead, we search for the, the, the right outlet for some situation that needs fixed or, or whatever, you know, our, our contented discontent is about or our non-complaining complaint is about. You know what I mean? I always said that before. So work on that in your families, and remember, if nothing else, just remember this, God is not pleased when people complain. Look at the Old Testament. Look at those examples. The people tested God ten times, he says, and uh, it was a hard hard enough task for God to put up with their terrible manners in the wilderness, and he had to punish them for that. We don't want to be like that, do we? We don't want to be there. (laughs) Don't go there. You don't want to do that, so don't be complaining about your lot. Submit to it. Have the grace of contentment, the grace of humility, and that grace of submission. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, to apply what we've heard today, and may your work be powerful in us to will and to do for your good pleasure. There is a sense, in true, it's true, God, that you don't tell us or command us to do things that are utterly impossible, but you actually work them in us yourself by your spirit through the word. And so this morning I pray that we would indeed see the fullness of that work unfolding in our lives. Thank you for the kind attention of your people, those online as well, and I pray that you will bless us with obedience to this command, this directive. In the scriptures, in Jesus' name, amen.